Warning, the following podcast may contain phrases such as DJ 561 Snapper is, is here. In the, he is in he's the in. house. Three unwise men. Bum, bum, bum. With Frog, Grant, and Ryder. It has started. Oh, so, right. Yeah. So um, I was I was walking around Greenwood yesterday. Yeah. Lovely place. It's, it's neat. It's nice. And I came <laughs> to an observation. Okay. Mm-hmm. I have long wondered, like, apparently, I guess I don't really know, but, like, when you go to get a handicap placard, mm-hmm. like, yeah. do they also just give you a keys to a Buick? Or <laughs> <laughs> no, see, that's funny. That's funny because uh, okay, so uh, back in '94, my mother had a stroke. Okay, sorry. and her her like right side is paralyzed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what, hopefully that's not why it's funny. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> no. Uh, okay, no, no but, sorry to hear that. As a result, she has a handicap. Sure, pocket, sure, go ahead. Which is attached to a Buick. They all are. She has a, like a massive Buick station wagon. Like, why do they give like if you're an elderly person, as we're all going to hopefully become, as opposed to the 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 option, right? Why why do they why do you have the biggest most like difficult like lowest turn radius car possible? Suddenly, something makes sense because they have all of that extra space around the handicap spots. It's not for them to get out; it's so that they can park those huge fucking <laughs> they cars. Actually, park. Wait, I I don't know. Okay. I, I, a bit of analysis here. I, I don't know that we're dealing with uh, a handicap issue or, or so much as a generational one because, you know, mm. 30, 40 years ago, if you wanted a safe car, you put as much fucking metal around you as you possibly <laughs> Good could. Yeah. Good point. Right now, you've got like cars that are engineered to have crample zones and they've got. Yeah, I'll give you that. Right. Yeah. And so, but back then, you know, if you're looking at a car, the more metal you have around you, the more Detroit you, you have around you, the better. Yeah. The better. <laughs> yeah. And so, so like Eminem. And so, if you're an old person, right, these are the people that, that, you know, think talking about the the way them coloreds were is appropriate. <laughs> what? Apparently, all old people are now racist. I I am saying that there is a higher percentage of racists in old people than young. Possibly this, uh, yeah, okay, okay. Um, unless, of course, you're talking about the video game culture. But the uh, yeah. But if you <laughs> wow, well, so we're just going there now. Well, if you're in any pre-game lobby ever, right? No, that, no, yeah. But the uh, the point I'm trying to make here is that. Apparently those things are correlated, and I w- I've always wondered like why don't they give them a smaller car, like a smaller car, like a Prius? But I realize you can't do that because Priuses come pre like with Obama stickers automatically. Right. Yeah, so that's you, true. You, you, like right. No, no, no. Yeah. If you if you're driving a Prius, you've you got why, like having the, the Obama stickers on the left, the coexist sticker is on the right. On the right. Yeah. Why yes. would you? Yeah. It's like it just comes that way. It's like a safety feature. What I love, by the way, I'm going to totally divert now. Have you seen those those flyers that they that some of the the fundamentalist christian places are putting on the the car with the coexist sticker well is there, like there they, a sticker war going on oh, no, no, there, there's like they, they like a they're re-sticking you know like a, like a car wash flyer or something sure, like yeah. that they're they sticking the flyer the under the under the windshield wiper like no. that gives their counter argument to why the coexist sticker is a bad car. like <laughs> as as though that's going to convince Anyone. To be fair, anytime that I do pull something off of my windshield wiper, I give it the most treated. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, DJ five six one snapper is is here and the he is in he's the in. House. I have got to go to his band opening. I don't know. That's like all it the is. Band I'm opening. Just, I'm just wondering if they. <laughs> 
Is that what they do? A DJ is not in a band. He's kind of solo. I'm a DJ. And I'm going to go. Uh, but they don't have my, DJs in, in bands? Band. Not often, no. Really? Like, there's two Isn't that Black I can Eyed think Peas? of. I, like, love, I love that we have entirely strayed into Cheeseburger Guy's realm. Like, oh, I'm by, so outnumbered now. Touching, yeah. touching yeah. the music. Like, you know, he's, he's normally pretty quiet. Like, we're talking about, like, writing well, and books and stuff. Mm. And as soon as we, we touch into this realm, he's off. Like, oh, yeah. He is yeah. You're in my house now. <laughs> so, wait. So, wait. There isn't. Your argument is that there is. Or, or that's not an argument. It's not an argument. It's a fact. There's. Okay. No. What I'll say is that very rarely are DJs in bands. There are three that I can think of. All right, let's hear uh, Black Eyed Peas, which was just mentioned. Yeah, see, look at me. One, two, Limp Bizkit. I was going to say that. And, 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 and Linkin Park. I was about to say Linkin Park. See, I knew that. Look at me. That's why okay. I'm saying that. Yes. See, look how proud I am. Three out of how many bands have ever been in existence? Any guesses? <laughs> Any know. guesses? Do you know? I was going to say about 24 trillion. 24 trillion. 24 trillion. So three That's a scientific out of 24. Estimate. Yeah, th- this <laughs> is my realm. This is my realm. Okay. Hey, whatever okay. you say. 24, 24 trillion. So, you can't argue with that. Yeah. That's, I'm yielding the floor. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, DJs go do shows. They don't say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be in a band. I'm going to be in a band. Usually, and people are going to lash at me for this, but whatever. If you are a DJ and you have to be in a band, it's because you're shitty. Well, are you saying Whoa. the so Lincoln Park DJ is he's not as good as Skrillex? <laughs> well, I guess there are exceptions to every rule, isn't there? <laughs> wow, wow, we are in deep music murder here. Did you just insult Skrillex? Well, isn't Ellen Golding going to yell at you now? Or whatever. Ellen Golding, yeah. See, she actually is well, look a at me. artist. Look at me dropping names. Yeah, might yeah. as well drop the mic. Get it? Don't, 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 don't. I bought that. It's, it's oh, attached well, to a stand. That's yeah. a shit. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to drop the stand. Drop the stand. Is like, that a thing? How are you even going like, to? I feel like that'd be so much more badass. <laughs> I don't know how that works. If you just pick up a stand and just just and, drop it. You know, with your luck, though, when you go to drop it, it's just going to land right back on its legs and do <laughs> nothing dramatic whatsoever. Like, Dark. <laughs> that'd be more impressive. And then I'd just start singing again and Here, be let's, like, wait, let's try it. See, unimpressive. <laughs> yeah, just, unimpressive. Nothing. That was pretty impressive. Yeah. So anyway, we were, uh, where, where were we? We're talking about... We four. are We are totally off the goddamn rails. Yeah, we, we are. are. Except we're not, because we're, talk, we're talking about correlation. Yes. And we, oh, yeah, yeah. And we yeah. foreshadowed that, and today we're talking about foreshadowing in our serious segment. It's true. Look what we did. So now we come back to it. Yeah, yeah. but you called it out. It's like having to explain a joke. We could have we could have done it we, without the explanation, but now people know how accidental that was. Well, it is pretty accidental. We're yeah, ta- we're I guess we are that type of group, aren't we? I actually just decided we're talking about foreshadowing, today. <laughs> 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 which is how some foreshadowing comes to be. It's so, true. Give us uh, give like, us foreshadowing. Let's talk about foreshadowing right now. In the in the, can you talk about your current project? Yeah, we can talk about my current you, project. So you have a current project going on, and you just got. Some editor room remarks back. Yes. And yes. some of those, take it from there. Well, okay, so I, I, I don't want to get too far into the, the spoilers of the storyline, because obviously you should go and buy it and mm-hmm. whatever, but... Um, Two copies. Right. One for each nightstand. But that said, uh, there is 
an event that happens midway through the book. Okay. Um, mm. I kind of hope so. That, that actually... <laughs> no, and, and the rest of the book, nothing. <laughs> just nothing. It's just, it's, it makes War and Peace look exciting. Nice. But, look, I'm, it's like the description I'm of the pitching sh- now, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the description of the ships of the Iliad, right? Right, okay. right, yeah. Uh, length yeah. in cubits. Nice. <laughs> this is thrilling. I'm sorry. No, so the, this, this event is... Uh, hinted at very very strongly at the end of book two gotcha like there's there's a lot of foreshadowing that happens in book two mm-hmm. and the problem is that when i'm writing like the story is just the story in my head and Go on. where where the breaks are in the books mm. uh, not as big of a thing right have we talked about this before is in my head and I'm sure writing as though you know under the assumption that when you're reading book three you will have read books one and two sure which is usually the case but not always yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but then they always have that. We should talk later about the when when and you've read these too, I'm sure. Where you read the uh, you read the recap. Yeah. Where they have to reintroduce a character after it's book three, just so hey, just a reminder. Just a reminder. There's this character <laughs> out here. Yeah, I mean, it, Julie's got only one arm. I, and part of it is that you know maybe it's been over a year since I released book two. Sure. So. I can guarantee you that it's been over a year since most of my readers have read book two, and maybe a little refresher isn't a bad thing. Unless they're breaking mm-hmm. into your house and but, reading your files. Yeah. But when I'm writing all of this, it hasn't been over a year since I've released book two. It's exactly. been, it was very, very close to it. And yeah. so in my head, all of these events are very fresh, and sure. I didn't really do any foreshadowing in the first half of the book, and then this event just happens. Mm-hmm. Right. In your mind, you foreshadowed. In, in my mind, I foreshadowed, because book two has all kinds of foreshadowing. Yeah, you know, you're in the story. This is one continuous story. But wow, did my editor not like that. <laughs> they were like, what the... <laughs> my editor did not like that, uh-huh. uh, because it just kind of comes out of left field. It just absolutely... And, you know, now that I'm going back and editing and reading, I'm like, yeah, yeah. If you read it as a standalone book... If like, I read what? this as a standalone book, or even having read it, you know, having some space between it and sure. book two, it's like... So any space. Wow, this comes right out of fucking left field. <laughs> this is... I just have this this deus machina effect that just drops with no warning whatsoever. Just there it is. And there it is. Whoop. Yeah. <laughs> is it a mic drop? It is... Well, no. Uh, <sighs> but it home. is... Brought it home. It is a, a very much a... Um, you know, startling turn of events. Like, oh, he can just do this thing. Um, sure. So, and if I'd led up to it, it'd have been very smooth and very transitional and very nice. But since I didn't lead up to it, it just. <laughs> Which now begets the question. Well, you were saying something. Yeah. So it sounds like, and this is something we had discussed at another uh, in another episode. It sounds like foreshadowing can really taper on the edge of an info dump as well. It's it's actually it can. The thing about it is you want to, if your character has the ability to do something, you need to hang Chekhov's gun on the yes, wall you first, mm-hmm. right? And I, we should probably explain Chekhov's gun. Yes. Um, for those of you who do not understand the term, uh, that is, Chekhov is, you know, famous Russian author. Mm-hmm. Um, and he once said, if you hang a gun on the wall in chapter two, it's got to be fired in chapter three. So it's not the Chekhov mm-hmm. from Star Trek. No. No. That's no, too bad. It is. Although he did have a phaser. That's my point. But it was and never so, hung on a wall. So I was, are you sure? Fairly. I'm, <laughs> I just, I just brought I'm this. Not. I just entirely brought this to a halt. But <laughs> yes, let me resurrect this from the, from, from the depth of what I did here. So the point you have is. The point I have is actually the reverse of that, which is that if you're going to fire a gun in chapter three. Sure. 
it is much better if you have hung that gun on the wall in chapter two. Very good point. So the que- mm-hmm. so when you are so in your method of writing, you write literally from an entire story. Yes, broken up into books. Right. Um, do you find that you put in a lot of your foreshadowing? Because this is, I think, something that whenever I deal with with writers or authors, it's kind of like the question is, do I? Oh shit! I need to put this in. Like, do I need to know every the big events at the end? Or and this comes down to again the structural versus discovery writer because a discovery writer will get to some of these big things naturally and then need to go back to earlier chapters and install. Or if you've written the series, right. if you have you have right. to you know now you have a demarcation you're dealing with. So and I'm actually a weird hybrid between those two, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I I have an outline like we pre-plan the outline for the okay. book before we're we start writing and so sure i am not entirely a pantser a discovery writer Mm -hmm. but in in any individual chapter i will do discovery type work because i won't have the chapter meticulously planned out when i start writing it i'll be like okay well there's three or four things that need to happen in this chapter and those are what i'm going for and we'll see how it pans out from there um and so i'm kind of a hybrid between the outlining and the discovery and this event was pre-planned for I mean, since book two, like we, we dropped it in sure. book two. Yeah. That this was going to happen. It is pretty clear that this is going to happen in book two. We just didn't talk about it in book three because we'd made it so clear in book two. So you, you were inspect, you were already live in that. Right, right. And so it's not that we weren't anticipating it and that we just poof discovered that this event happened. We knew this event was going to happen. Sure. But we, it was such a fixture in our heads that this event was going to happen that we totally forgot to tell other people that this event was going to mm-hmm. happen. And so it's actually uh, the reverse of what you're talking about. I see what you're saying. Okay. It catches us by surprise. It so didn't catch us by surprise that we forgot we needed to hint it to other people. What do you think, though, as I, as I run across, I find a lot of authors struggle with it. That's why we're, one of the reasons we're talking about it is they struggle with, they freak out because they feel like as they're writing the front chapters, I don't know if I foreshadowed all of my big events in the back. My recommendation to that would be write it all. Then you start mm-hmm. to connect dots if you have to. If you look back yeah. and you don't have, if you have a big event that doesn't have an earlier hint. Right. Or foreshadowing or event, Go back and drop it in. Then you could just drop which it is, in. Which is what I'm going back and doing right Precisely. now. Precisely. I, mean, I see that note from my important. editor. I read it. I'm like, oh, shit, she's right. And then I go back and I fix it. Right? Well, and the reason the reason I'm drawing attention to this is because that is a mark of something that a lot of people don't really think about. Because there's this anticipation that because you read the story from A to Z, in your mind even. That it has to be written from A to Z. It has to be written from A to Z. And... That's a big, one of the more difficult things to, I think, wrap your head around is that not particularly during the editor, like the editing process, mm-hmm. but even for some authors prior to that, they don't even write the book necessarily sequentially. No, no, no. There, there are authors who will, you know, mm-hmm. write the big events in their book and first, they write in between and yeah. then fill in the gaps. And fill in the gaps. Yeah. That's, yeah. I can't write that way, I, but I, I understand. Yeah, I understand. I've talked to someone who does it that way. And I was like, and I asked him this question, and I'm going to not say the author because I don't, you know. Right. This is, but I talked to the author, and, and I was like, you know, and they told me that this is their, their, their method, and this was a big, rev- like, revelation for them. And I said, well, you know, which one are, like, how much is your, how strong is your outline, man? And their comment was, I can basically outline, like, it's, it, they, their final product deviates very little from what their right. outline is. You right. know what I mean? And I don't know if that's a mark of that or... That, it's a matter of style. Sure. Right? I mean, it is... I've seen writers that are complete pantsers sit down with a blank page and just start writing and things happen. 
That's that me have, with chapters. That have I, I've seen writers that do it with entire books. Oh wow, okay. That come out. CJ Cherry has basically come out and said that that's how she writes. Just sits down and keeps going. Just asking the chair keep typing, right? She yeah. puts two characters in a room and has them start talking, and if she's very lucky, they'll get into an argument. That's that is mm. her statement. Those are her words, not mine. That's perfect. And um, and so yeah, whenever you go to cons and see her talk about her writing, it's it's. She, she lets her characters run free and do things and how they act is a complete mystery to her as well as anyone else. And that's great because it works for her, right? Nobody can sure. go read CJ Cherry and think that that doesn't work. No, no. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no. <laughs> because it's, she's amazing. Um, but the flip side of that is some people can't do that. And that's fine. Well, because then it goes off in Never Never Land. I'm this weird. Um, I do what I call the baguettes. Okay. And so I do um, one large event mm-hmm. but gets another large, large large event right and so okay. that's kind of it's like a domino effect sure and i don't have them necessary for chapters so i have this outline of i actually use a visual outline mm-hmm. of like this and it's like an arrow to here i look like you know the a beautiful mind like i'm some kind of like looking for russian conspiracy in the middle of newspapers but the um i just connect these things that way and those are the baguettes and i sit down I don't know how they're going to get through the town. I don't know what conversation they're going to have. Right. I'm not 100% sure how they think they're going to go from here to there and how they feel about that. But I do know that, like, one line, so I have, like, one line or one topic has to be in there because yeah. I know it, it, it begets something else. And so somewhere in there, the conversation goes around that, and everything else for me kind of just is, you know, in between, and then you start paring down and editing. I can tell you that... Uh, even with the outlining format that we have, sure. Uh, occasionally, our characters will do something that throws everything entirely off the rails. Yeah. Um, and th- this current project we're on, this third book in our series, chapter eight will contain that event. Oh, really? Just, just. So that, read for it, people. Re- read for it because in, I, I was writing the event, and I realized that you know my main character Robert there was a certain way that he would act, mm-hmm. right? That I hadn't anticipated. Okay. Um, but as I'm looking at the situation, it's it's what he has to do, right? And to, to briefly overview, right, he's a magic user in a world where magic using is illegal. Okay. And uh, he's got a couple of cops that know who he is. So and Louisiana. Have, have been kind of cool <laughs> with it, but... Mm-hmm have keep, kept it on the DL. Okay. And now some shit's going down with the feds and it's it's getting nasty and a couple of his friends are about to get picked up by or one of his friends and one of this other asshole are about to get picked up by the feds. Mm-hmm. And there's really no way to stop it without just overtly busting it out. Yeah. And I've got an impetuous reckless kid who I've written into this corner mm-hmm. and up until this point he's managed to keep for like Two books now. He's managed to keep the fact that he's a magic user kind of on the DL from the cops. Well, he's not going to be able to hear. He's, and he does. He's not able to do it in this situation, yeah. right? He goes from, you know, from you know, innocent bystander to America's most wanted in the space of minutes. And we weren't anticipating that that was going to happen. What's the sort of thing that will shift the rest of your book pretty oh, significantly? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right? you've got to re-outline at that point. Yeah, you do. <laughs> right? I do a lot of re-outlining, and so yeah. you know, there, there are discovery type moments. But what's interesting about and, that, and what's important, I think, though, is to, to, to highlight that is how if you get to that moment, 
honor that moment though don't yeah, just yeah, like yeah. if you get to this is the natural this is where it is the rest of your outline is it's let let that be the rumble you walk on to get to where he, you need to be here's the thing bringing it back to our original topic that moment mm-hmm. even though i wasn't writing with that in the aim if you read back through the chapters that moment is perfectly foreshadowed already sure see right so you, because because i have written him into a place where that is the only choice he can possibly have Right. And I didn't realize that until the time. But if I go back and read all the things that put him in that position. That's what's happened. That's what's happened. Yeah. And every single decision that is made by all the characters place him in that spot. And you can see it coming from a mile off. And because you can see it from coming from a mile off, he's got no choice but to do exactly that. And so mm-hmm. it's perfectly foreshadowed. Some Whereas this, for you. this event that I had set up from book two that I was trying to force on the characters didn't get foreshadowed organically. That makes sense. Right? Mm. And so that's what I've got to work, go back and intentionally put in the foreshadowing for. you got to do the fine strokes right. later on. Yeah. Well, right. that happens, though. And so that a lot of the times with a discovery writer, that's actually much easier to have foreshadowing because it's a, it's a cause and effect. Like the things that foreshadow also cause the event to happen. Yeah. And you're writing it naturally. Right. Yeah. And you just keep going. I definitely, yeah. It's a process. And, and it really depends on how you do your process. But if you get to your book and things are happening that aren't foreshadowed, it's jolting and disturbing for the readers. And that's, that's kind of the end lesson here. No matter how you get that foreshadowing in. Well, so, yeah, it wants a speed bump and you want to have a little incline right. build up to it. Right. You don't want to just run straight into a wall. Well, you want to have expectations and sometimes false expectations that are fun. Mm-hmm. Right. If your character has the power to do a thing, and he just does that thing, <laughs> which is the situation I found myself in, right? Sure. Um, and it, it it's jolting and it's shocking and it, it takes the reader right the hell out of the story. Yeah, because they're like wondering. Well, because you don't want the reader to realize they're reading. Right. And right. you want them to feel like suddenly I missed something. Right. Because the worst feeling is, is, is if you read something, you're like, wait, did I miss yeah, you, where, where did I go? How, how did I? How is he suddenly doing this? Yeah, you have to go back and look. That's a, that's a. You don't really feel connected to the work at that point. Right? Yeah, at that point, you have to make sure that if <clears throat> it's supposed to be a, surpri- a surprise, it has to be crafted as a surprise. And there's still some ways that you can do that when you're writing that stuff out because you kind of leave a like a little vague gap in there of I don't know what's going on over here. I can't see it, and then bam, that surprise happens. He goes. I mean, you, you, can, you can think, oh, that's what's been hidden all along. And it doesn't have to be right. particularly built up to. But when you right. don't have that in there, yeah, it's going to jolt them completely. Let me, let me give you the opposite extreme. Uh, did, did anyone ever watch the old, and this, this is going to be reaching back, this is dating myself. Did anyone ever watch Star Trek, the animated series? Wow. I am familiar with it. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. You see where I left that. I am familiar with it. Right. There is an episode of that that I caught very, very late at night once um, where Kirk and Satan are getting into a fight. As one does. <laughs> yeah. And I I actually watched that episode. Yeah. And it was amazing how bad it was. But there is a point, and I, I'm sure if you type this like into YouTube, you can see this this point because it is so amazingly bad where satan is is coming down on the enterprise and everything is going horribly sure and spock just shouts out with with no foreshadowing whatsoever kirk use the magic that you know and kirk's like oh yeah i know magic and then he kicks satan's ass and it's like, 
This is <laughs> that's it's really helpful. It's absolutely that's an example of where you needed foreshadowing. You could have used some foreshadowing about Kirk. Happy magic. Having enough magic. What's well, the magic Not just that you magic. The magic you know. The magic that you know. Well, that's the What, part. he's going to seduce Satan? Because that's pretty that's much only magic, magic that I know Kirk is able to... No, he he's surrounds Satan in some kind of glowing nimbus and then wins. It's 70s animation. What do you want? <laughs> those, are, those are like two elements that shouldn't have gone into Star Trek to begin with. <laughs> magic and Satan. Like, what? I think, I think he's got a... <laughs> No, no, no. I think it's a strong pl- plot, and I would like to see it expressed. <laughs> <for me. laughs> God it. it's, it's really god-awful. But that moment stuck with me as, like, the moment that tells me why you need foreshadowing, because you don't want to do that to people. Well, usually the surprise I read, um, and I'm going to reference um, Brian, uh, Brian Stavely here, actually, and in his first book, okay. uh, um, The Emperor's Blades. And I'm not... There's an event that's built up for one of the characters that it's coming and it's coming and you expect it and you expect it, right? And but it's still it's like um it's like the main point of like most of this guy's story arc for a long time going up. I'm being very, very vague purposefully. Right. But um and you you, you get to it and he still manages with surprise because it's it's like it's one of the things where like you expect it and it's more. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you were expecting a five-ton truck, and it's a ten. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a ten-ton truck hitting you, and it's like you don't. So that's the kind of surprise where you it's it's good because you're building up for it. So it plays on the emotion you build already because right. you've been building this emotion, and then it's not only like you know it's not only the present you want it's the present and a hundred dollar bill. Right. No. Let's be know. clear. It's perfectly okay to surprise your reader. Mm-hmm. It's not perfectly okay for you to drop an ability or a thing into the mix without your reader having some awareness that it exists. No, exactly the case. Because you want to do with it, you you know, again, we're, we're it's the ingredients of emotion. So you're building on this anticipation, this emotion, this emotion, and you can't jar that by putting in a completely contradictory, like you're expecting X, Y, Z, and then suddenly you have. Just joking, he can do something entirely different, which right. you've never heard of be, right. like, but before, because that... He can use the magic that he knows. Yeah, you have to evade, you have to avoid the bait and switch. Right. There's a big difference between support to surprise right. and bait and switch. You know, yeah. bait and switch, nobody likes bait and no, switch. You have to be able to look back through the story and be like, I can't believe I missed that. Yeah, in fact, that's a great feeling. Mm-hmm. Right. When you're like, oh, how did I not... Because then you're like, this guy's brilliant. I mean, like, like that moment... You know, before M. Night Shyamalan started to suck. Yeah. When he put out The Sixth Sense and you, you watched it the first time. Yeah, that's why it's mm. so good. Yeah. yeah. Right? That was amazing. And why that's so good is because when you go back through that, a story like, I'm like, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. You, you can know, see it. but now you see it. So now you see the magic and it's just as good. Right. And yeah. you're like, oh, that was I, the- I can't believe I didn't see this the first time. Yeah. How did I not? Yeah. That was the, that was the same for me with, um, if you guys saw Book of Eli. Oh, Boogie yeah. Island was great. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, right? same thing. Boogie Island was really good that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and Boogie Island is amazing. Well, right. Boogie Island is one of the better post-apocalyptic stories I've ever seen. Yeah. Yes. Well, I I still need to see Fury Road. I've heard it's amazing. It is the best. Yeah. It is Fury Road. Is let me talk about expectations and foreshadowing. Okay. Everything. 
inferior. There is every there's Chekhov's guns littering the place, and every single one is picked <laughs> up and used masterfully. There is not a single line in that movie that is not like connected. I need to see that movie. It is it is easily easily one of the best movies I've seen in years, hmm. and it has like. There's a little bit of CGI for some background scenes because, you know, it's impossible to have. Sure. That guy. But it is, it is everything that is right about movies missing everything that is wrong about movies with CGI fight scenes. There isn't the bullshit like that you see in like magic CGI guy flying. It's not blue, like blue screened. Mm-hmm. It's not any of that crap. It is why it is the reason why Lord of the Rings was so good, and the CGI in the other ones felt bad. It is why Matrix was so good with photography actually being used to do the scenes, and why Matrix Two and when he's flying around like a video game character is fucking terrible. So it is it is what <laughs> is right with movies. I don't think I Fury Road. wrong about Matrix 2. Well, but no, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in terms yeah. of that, in terms of I, the I, action. I, I didn't mean to set off that kind of a strong reaction. Oh, there. I <laughs> hate because it's the worst. And if any studio ever is listening, you are bad if you do it. Get good stuntmen. Be good with photography and make it believable. CGI is not good. You know, there was actually a, it's the worst. a video that came out recently uh, that uh, the guy was saying, the only reason we think that CGI is bad is because we only see bad CGI. That guy's a liar and he's trying to keep his job. <laughs> he's a horrible human being and I hope he no, falls. So his point was that the, you, don't th- you don't ever actually see good CGI. Yeah. Like, like with Fury Road. Right from the few trailers that I saw, this guy did a side by side comparison of what the actual take was versus what the rendering was. You don't know; it looks natural versus where you get into things like again the Matrixes and um, you know Avatar and what have you. But when you look at things like say, no, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure I can pick out the CGI from Avatar. Yeah. It's the eight foot tall beasts that are blue. Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't know. That's, that's <laughs> kind of spotty. But when you get into things like Fury Road or series like The Walking Dead, where it's kind of necessary, right? But it's still you—you you don't see it for the first time. Oh, the walking, I, walking Dead is a lot of makeup artists. Is what it is. Here's the thing, I, and I—I I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. In fact, I agree with what you're saying. The point I'm trying to say is—is is that it is a spice, and if yes. you—if yes. that is the prominent thing, if that is—if that is the hook upon which you are hanging your your movie. You're 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 hanging on a really shitty hook. Yep. All right. Well, that went off the rails a little bit from foreshadow. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a foreshadow. Trust me. If you see some heavy CGI, it's foreshadowing a terrible movie. Fair enough. There you go. Fair enough. All right. We're going to cut over to our next segment here. We're going to have a commercial break here with one of our ever awesome three unwise men products, and we will be right back with you shortly. Are you having a hard time garnering the sympathy of your social network? Well, fear no longer. Now you, too, can get upset with anyone. Try the auto-victimizer Offense Thesaurus app. Pre-program your account with your own specific demographic. Then, type in a statement, and immediately, our digital app will generate a number of ways to be offended. With the auto-victimizer, you can ensure that the focus of everyone's sympathy remains on you, no matter what the situation. Don't fear if you're not technologically inclined. This app will automatically find your Tumblr account and integrate. Upgrade your account for $4.99 so you can set the threshold of your outrage. Remember, 
If you don't take advantage of our 14-day free trial, you're clearly a racist, misogynistic homophobe. Welcome back to Three Unwise Men. You've decided to come along with us as we torture yet another interviewee for a half hour. On the line today, we have S.A. Bullich, who goes by Sue. Sue, welcome. How's it going? It is going well. It's actually raining in my part of the country, which is like everyone's out in the streets dancing. So, yeah. <laughs> so let's be clear. You're not on fire then. No, well, no, not at this moment. So, yeah, I just checked the open incidents reports and, you know, for once there's not 20 new ones and they've actually <laughs> rolled back a lot of them that they've gotten under control. So, yeah, we're all sort of breathing a giant sigh of relief. For those who aren't aware, Sue is in eastern Washington. Which yeah, Ponderay County, I believe. Is that specifically where it is? Yes. Yeah, perfect. Yes. Which was uh, uh, graced by a blanket of smoke for the majority of the summer. So, yeah, she's, uh, I think well, Rain's welcome there. there. There's often an accusation that things at Worldcon happen in, in smoke-filled rooms, and as it turns out, it was absolutely true this year. That's true. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> Smoke-filled building, smoke-filled city, smoke-filled state. Yeah. Yeah. There was oh this. Oh my gosh. There was this whole element when we're driving away, and I see the scorched earth. I thought, oh, that's kind of appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, now that we're off on the right. Floor. Yeah. So yeah. yeah Insert say, Hugo joke here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This was no. It was kind of a fun. You know, you're going to find out that these are how the interviews go. This is <laughs> their so formless yeah, yeah. Form, yes. yeah we, we don't we don't plan a lot at no. all yeah what do you work you have something coming out this month though yeah i do um actually before i talk about that sure. i did actually manage to use the entire sasquan smoke experience to write a long steampunk story yesterday so yay cool and it uses it's set in spokane it's set in the smoke with the red orange sun glaring down so yes i, I we had speculated how many stories we're going to see in the magazines over the next six months or a year that use those images and so i can truthfully say there's been at least one written oh there yeah you go. the beneath the blood moon I did. yeah you, you need to get that submitted immediately because all of the editors will be thinking about that yeah, there's going to be a glut. So yeah, uh, and you'll be the first. Well, <laughs> you, you, you know, like whenever I think trendsetter, I do think Sue. Oh yes, I'm sure that you do. I do. Yeah, I mean, yes. I I tend to think of Sue in abject fear, but that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well she's you your know, editor, isn't she? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I cracked that virtual whip. Yeah, pretty yeah. hard. Yeah. <laughs> is she the one responsible for the tree? She is the one responsible for the uh, tree. I am. So, yeah, that was on an earlier podcast, in fact, was a conversation. It, it was. We oh, had really? A, we yeah. had a conversation about the tree and the fact that you you have caused the growth of that character from a one-scene wonder to something we keep going back to. Well, you know, that works for me. It was like, why the <laughs> hell is this tree in here? <laughs> <laughs> Give me something with the tree. I want to justify the freaking tree. So, you know, go for it, guys. Like, yeah. it's going to be in there. You might as well just keep it in, right? Right. You're no, not... it, it's, it turned into you have to go the full nine with it. But Yeah, I have immortalized redwoods. Yes. Okay. Oh. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm happy now. My work as an editor is done. It's complete. You've reached the... <laughs> That's it. Yeah, you reached the highest. You... you reached the highest pinnacle, right? Yes. Uh, so I'm curious how when you were when you saw that there was no more tree in that story oh, 
we're gonna stay on this. Yes, we we're are. Gonna, we're gonna we're gonna just keep piling it on me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because we, we haven't talked about it in several podcasts. Well, so. and importantly, we have someone that actually you're afraid of. So that works <laughs> yeah. really right, yeah, like, <laughs> works really well for all these questions. So how much how much disappointment did you have mm-hmm. like when two there was steps a- away from interviewing my mother? You understand? <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> So, Sue, how much disappointment did you see or did you have when you did not see any more end in the story? Well, it wasn't disappointment so much as like just this long dangling thread hanging out there, you know, you you know how you like to pick at your sweater when you have one around. It's like, what the hell? I kept jerking on this stupid tree. So, yeah, it's like, hey. Pretty soon, you know, the whole thing's just going to unravel for lack of tree. So, <laughs> unravel for lack of tree. That is, that's the tagline for this entire episode. No, th- this episode, that's going to be our, our like warning in the front. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be Sue's voice saying, unravel for lack of tree. <laughs> that's yes, amazing. So, yes. So the, the, the plot line, uh, you know. What can I say? I just wanted to know why this tree was in there and, and where it came from and what the heck, you know, it just disappeared. She she tortured the tree and, you know, she used it to shelter her and, you know, she save her and she sends it off to nowhere. It's like, didn't even say thank you to the poor tree. So. <laughs> <laughs> you have kind of a jerky character, Frog. <laughs> kind of just... To be fair. Yeah. To be fair. To be fair. Okay. Esther wrote that scene. Okay. <laughs> Do you guys hear the bus coming? Yeah, that is. I am. I will just not tell her she said you said that. And she, and Dory, she doesn't listen. Right? Yeah, because she doesn't listen to the podcast either. Yeah. Okay. So you, I, I know where to find her. You do. Oh God, she'll she'll tell us. My wife. She probably will tell on you. This It'll be your next this round. It's a goddamn nightmare for me. You realize that. It'll be your next round of edits from Sue. You know, for once, I am not being ripped apart because I have no knowledge in this area. It's kind of nice to shift the focus to you for a change. (laughs) Yeah, well, we got more interviews left to do. Yeah, this is true. (laughs) You have something coming out this month here. Yeah. So you you had mentioned steampunk. And when you did that, I saw Frog's ears perk uh, over the last few episodes we've uh dove briefly into steampunk areas and in other interviews as well um so what kind of elements Reader, are we gonna we see? have to teach you the difference between steampunk and cyberpunk <laughs> i thought you i thought it was steampunk for you it was cyberpunk he likes so, cyberpunk he doesn't like steampunk okay well we, we've got a whole which thing. is fine it's all good the question we have though is then as, as writers asking what kind of steampunk elements like yeah. what makes it steampunk well I'm still kind of feeling my way toward that because I used to, you know, I usually when I write anything set in a historical setting, it's going to be like very accurate history because I'm a history major. Um, But steampunk, you know, you can go in so many different ways. But the one thing I will not put in there is airships because everybody does airships, you know, and thinks Mm -hmm. that's just steampunk. So um, obviously you must have some element of your civilization that's, centered around the steam engines and all of the, you know, the mechanical stuff that works without the stuff that we think is, you know, the, the drivers of civilization, oil and electricity. So mm, sure. Yeah. You know, and this one, because I'm a native of Spokane, I got to throw in a lot of cool Spokane, you know, settings and history and, and, you know, 
they're running through the streets in the fog, escaping the mobs who are actually after the machines that are building the town because there was a huge fire in Spokane in 1889. So this one's set like two years later when they're still building and they have all these tremendous building machines that, you know, they sort of reek of lubricant and, you know, they and they're the steam and whatnot. So that's all entwined in there. And then we have this smoke creeping in from God knows where. And is it the machines that are generating it? Do we don't know and why they should do that? So um, you need those elements, I think, of, of a progressive forward civilization that's built not quite the way ours was. Plus just all the cool gadgetry. I love gadgets. Mm. I wish I was better at inventing them. <laughs> You're like a you want to like those tinkerer people that they do the like I've gone to a couple of steam cons and it's very heavily on the people who tinker and make little like I don't know, like little jewelry or like little hand ornaments of some sort. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or like this wristband that suddenly also works as a magnifying glass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, those are fun. You yeah. know, the, last year at Norwestcon in the art show, I think it was last year. Did you see anybody? Who, did you guys go? Did, I did. anybody go to that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you see the the steampunk dog in the yes. art show? Or maybe it was a cat. I can't remember. It was a cat. I think it was a cat. It was, yeah. it was yeah. really cool. Somebody had put enormous amount of time into that. Uh, way more time than I'll ever have to spend on anything like that. But <laughs> yeah. it was just, it was imaginative and it worked and it was so cool. It was very fun. So, you know, the, the wind up clockwork stuff. Um, I really like old toys because of that. You know, my my grandfather's house was built in 1890 and my sister lives there now. And when they tore down the old chicken coop um, and they've done a extensive remodeling, in the mm-hmm. walls and stuff you find like old toys and old shoes. They found the whole wall stuffed with old shoes from like eight, 1900. The wall that was, was stuffed with shoes? What? It was insulation. Really? Yeah. Yeah, so along with the sawdust and the newspapers and stuff, they had stuffed all their old shoes in there. And it was like, so she kept a couple of them. They were obviously too too beat up and too dried out to do anything with. But the souvenirs are kind of cool. But, you know, here's all these little, you know, cast iron toys and and just stuff that was made to last. Which is the cool stuff about 19th century things is that Mm -hmm. they were made to last unlike our throwaway, you know, five minutes, it'll be in the landfill society. So, yeah, that's one reason I like the gadget stuff is because Mm -hmm. in 100 years, you know, somebody might still be wondering what the hell it does. Well, I mean, anything I make, I, I, I turn an eye towards it being here 100 years later. Yeah, that, One hopes. it never happens. <laughs> yes, it, yes. But, it's like the most ridiculous self plug I've ever done. It's, yeah, yeah. That, that is that was terrible. <laughs> well, I was looking at you just. I was looking at Frog when I said that just to see his face actually, just which was like this really confused, like, like uh, perplexed uh, look. The like, first what? thing I was trying to figure out is, have you made anything? No. <laughs> <laughs> Which my ability to not make anything will remain here. That's true. That's true. Your absence of material will continue to exist in perpetuity. I work really heavily in the negative space. (laughs) Rabbit in a snowstorm. Yeah, that's what I do. That's what I do. So, yeah. The uh, What do you... Oh, okay. We were looking... Sorry, we're it, 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 stop the whole thing dead. Well, I did. I completely yeah. killed it. And He's good at that. I heavily looked over. Well, there was like a lot of flicking going on over here. But the uh, I was refreshing my screensaver. Well, I thought you had something important to say. You were gesturing like you were like 
No, I was I was touching my tablet to refresh my screensaver. I don't know. Oh, okay. How do you not figure that out? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I I have a question. Thank God. I know, right? Um so history major, editor. Earlier on, uh we actually talked about history and world building. Yes, we did. Okay. Um so I'm a history major as well. So uh. so I lean whenever I do f- f- fantasy, I I pretty egregiously like seep whatever I can out of history. <laughs> So when you're when you're seeing uh, history being implemented into books that you're you know looking over, what are some of the best things that you've come across, and what are some of the worst things that you've come across in terms of history, history dump, or anything of that sort? And he's asking better questions than we are today. I know. Jeez. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, the best one I spoke, even though I don't like the series and I stopped write or reading Game of Thrones after the second book. Yeah. It was so obvious from chapter one that he was using the court of Edward the Fourth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As the basis. You know, it's like these people are Woodvilles. I don't care what they're called. These are Woodvilles. You know, so mm. um that was really well done. He incorporated that very well, even though it was, you know, blindingly obvious if you were familiar with the period. Sure. But if you weren't, it still was terrific inspiration because it was real people doing real stuff. And, you know, that's, I think, what he's tried to do throughout the whole series is that he's treated his characters the way, I mean, they're, they're not doing anything more egregious than humans have done throughout history. So mm-hmm. he's just using real incidents as the inspiration and sprinkling them through the whole series. So, you know, that is really well done. I think when, when you try and co-opt a culture that you don't know anything about except from Hollywood and the same as that's why I write the horses in fiction blog to try and keep people from (laughs) egregiously, you know, spreading disinformation about how horses are used um, this came up a couple of weeks back when we were talking yeah. to Joyce too. Because I was, yeah. I had initially written, uh, you know, I kind of sketch in horses here and there when they're doing whatever, and I realized that like they were literally like bicycles that you like they were just horsey exactly. bicycles like apparently that you just kind of like lean against the side of the barn <laughs> yeah and they go forever and you saddle them up and you never unsaddle them you never see them being you know Cared picking for. it out to feed you yeah. know i mean they just go forever they're little machines and uh, oh yeah i did the math yeah. i i had some i had some of the best horses ever written they were <laughs> these were endurance animals let me tell you right now they <laughs> they were was no <laughs> Shadow facts had nothing on me. It was pretty. <laughs> it was pretty impressive. So yeah, yeah that's funny. I realized that's... I should probably change that. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> Maybe anybody who's ever looked at a horse is going to read that and be like, "Who's this? This guy's an idiot." No, 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 no. <laughs> Don't change it. Then send it to Sue to get edited. I want to see this. I want to see this. I want to see this. <laughs> you know, it'll be buried in red ink. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> she just sends it back with a blank page and be like, "Here, I fixed it." <laughs> <laughs> Let's be clear. I receive enormous amounts of shade and Freud about watching other people get edited by. <laughs> true well you know I, I really do have this reputation and I don't know whether it's good or bad but you know I had someone walk up to me at MissCon last year and, and uh, or was it two years ago and say every time I edit my stuff now I hear Sue Bullish's voice it's yeah. like oh god this can't be good <laughs> it, it, it is a good reputation I assure you the fact that you are 
capable of, you know, flaying someone's skin using nothing but comments in Microsoft Word. <laughs> but everybody loves you. Yes, yeah. no, that's not the intent. You know, it's just that I have grown blunt in my old age, and I've thought, it's like I no longer have time for pussyfooting. But I, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not out to uh, make anybody feel bad. It's just like if you're going to be a pro, well, you got to have pro level. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, you've got to, yeah. you know, you got to, you got to put your put your work where your mouth is. There, you know what I mean. So yeah, yeah. and part of it is I've run a, an online workshop for. Low these 18 years now. Oh, wow. Um, it was one of the first genre workshops on the web. I had, when I first went on the web in 97, um, I had joined the Internet Writers Workshop, which is, you know, huge. It's worldwide, but it's also mostly mainstream. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you would get crits like, What's a weird, you know, what, you know, (laughs) it's like, okay, this is really stupid. I don't get it. And so, you know, it wasn't the audience. And so they Mm -hmm. didn't know really how to critique what you were trying to do. So a gal that I met online at the workshop that we were critiquing each other eventually because we were, you know, the the fantasy folks, we finally went off and and started our own workshop, uh, otherworldswritersworkshop.org or .net, excuse me. And um, so we grew it very quickly because it was the only one of the, its kind out there at the time. And so we had always aimed it at pro-level stuff, even though there's a lot of newbies. But after 18 years, you, you see the same stuff over and over and over again. And so you get to the point where it's like, don't want to see this, don't want to see this. You need to take it a step further. And so yeah, you learn... You know, you learn to step beyond just grammar to, you know, line critiquing. This Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. To eventually where you can do the whole story plot and see the plot holes coming or the plot holes in the distance that you missed when you were just reading through. Um, You know, it's a a developed skill. It really is. It really is. Yeah. And so some people are better at certain aspects of it like spotting the plot holes and some people are better at the grammar. Some people are really good at making sure that the, the prose flows well and that this scene, you know, really isn't necessary or you need another scene, you know, so different editors have different skills and it takes a long time to be able to sort of mush all those skills together to give uh, a critique of a novel that will actually do somebody good. Well, I think you also hit on a topic that, um, I think a lot of people don't understand is how many people come together on a book. Oh yeah. Like there's this, there's this misconception that, um, that like you literally, Oh, I wrote a book. It's done. I'm a writer. Novel done. (laughs) Finished. And if that's not the case, I'm now not a writer. I'm the worst person ever. This is terrible. There's no, like, there's this, like, if you're the novice coming into this or the, you know, the aspirant or whatever, right, you, there's this misguided, I think, kind of feeling that, like, it's one or the other. Because, like, all the other people working on it in the background or all the back and forth edits and stuff is, like, you know, obscured. So you don't really know until you get into it. It's like, oh, wow, this is a lot of rewriting and a lot of different people putting their input in and tweaking this to make this, like, good. You know right. what I mean? There's, right. like, that really big misunderstanding, I think. Well, there's, so. a, there's a blind spot that comes with your own work. 
Oh, oh yeah. yeah, of course. Oh yeah. In in any in any medium, whether it's music, yeah. book writing, uh, yeah. I, any of that. There's just a huge blind spot, and yeah, mine starts on page one <laughs> and keeps going. So it's really, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it brutal. really does. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, yeah. literally. The, <laughs> the stuff that you thought was just the coolest hook ever, people are like. <sighs> Yes. Yeah, that catches me. And there's yeah. the one is stuff that you put in as a throwaway mm. that people like. Like a tree. Like a tree. God like damn. A tree. <laughs> <laughs> but there's like these little things that you put in and you're like, oh and then they're like, Oh, take that and run with it. And you're like, Okay. You know, like it's <laughs> Well, and that's it's kind of the blind spot because you don't know outside of your own perspective what is actually appealing. Yeah. Because what you know, one man's junk is another man's treasure. I hate using that, but it's kind of the case here. Well, you're so, and you're also, at least for, for me, and I don't know about you, Sue, if you run across, actually, this is actually an interesting question, is do you, like, like when I'm writing, I'm, I'm so invested in the overall story that I, I don't necessarily have the ability to self-analyze it as well as someone who obviously is not invested is able to do, right? So um, do you, have you run across in the editing process, like, oh, this is an important edit, and then you're like, Oh wait! Like that person is very like reluctant to t- to make that change. Like, is that a thing, or is that not really a thing? There, I have run across a couple of territorial people. I can be territorial about commas, you know. Everybody can. Mm-hmm. Um, I I only work with those people once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> so. You know, they can go off and be stubborn. The thing that the editor has to tread a really, really fine line between helping the writer make the best story they can out of the story they want to tell and trying to force them to write an entirely different story. That's not my job. Mm-hmm. My, my job is to, you know, when I am reading, I want to be inside the character's head. And if I am firmly inside the character's head, then I can see all of the movement and all of the stuff in front of me and I can hear. And so what is happening to that character should be making sense in that context. So suddenly if we have, you know, this giant gap between where I thought the character was standing and where they suddenly are, you know, without mm-hmm. this transition in between, I'm going to stop and I'm going to throw a fit and they're going to get a gigantic, you know, you can't ha- you can't do that. You, and this is why, you know, because I will never just say don't do that. I will say, you know, pro- probably Frog can attest in, in excruciating detail. <laughs> Um, why no, I've never made this I mistake. said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know yeah. what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. You must be talking so, about someone else's work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My perspective totally clean. I don't. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, and I've been called out too, to in, in in to the point where I was like, if I have to read one more comment from anybody, I am going to like lose it, <laughs> and you know, the, the house is going to explode. So I get it. I totally get that. You know, the being on the receiving end is not fun. But what I hope that I can make or help the the writer do is polish the story they wanted to tell and not make them completely go back and change it to suit some vision of what it should be. If they want to take my, you know, my suggestions, I won't even say advice. If they want to take my suggestions, great. They might, you know, take it farther than I can envision. But if they want to ignore it, it's still their story. Mm -hmm. Right. Sure. You know? Well, when you're looking at it from, uh, you know, when you're receiving that critique, uh, some people take it really well 
you know, and just go with, and they keep an open mind about it. But for some of them, you know, they're chipping at their own marble and it's hurting. But what they are not seeing is that you have to chip at the marble before you can round it off and polish it a bit more. And sure, that chipping is going to hurt, but you're going to come out with a better product in the long run. That's a great analogy, actually. Dang, I'm, I'm on top of it today, yeah, guys. What's really up with good. this? Yeah. I don't know. We, we, I haven't even had coffee. We need to get you drunk <laughs> is what needs to happen. <laughs> Let me go get my mead. Yeah, you're, <laughs> like, you're on the ball, and I'm, I think it's, we had, well, we had an annoying cat. Do you have cats, Sue? I do, but they're all in hiding at this moment, so we're good. Yeah, do you have cats that just, like, meow incessantly at you if you're not doing exactly what they want? Because I'm here to um, tell you Grant does. Boy, do I. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I should literally correct that. My girlfriend does. Ah, oh, fair enough. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, so it's like, the, yeah, yeah, the, the, the step cat. Yeah, it is, it is, it's definitely. I like separate myself the from step ownership. Cat. I separate myself the from step ownership. Cat. <laughs> we inherited this cat. No, it's a nice cat, but it's really like vocal if it's if it. If like she, I'm not your real owner. It's, yeah, it's your, exactly oh, it's a it's cat. a yowler. Isn't it? No, it just meows consistently if she's around, because uh, it wants to be around her. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, I, so, I I phrased it as singing the song of its people. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I had one. I had a kitten that had been abandoned, and so, you know, my my next door neighbor's child brought it to me because you know she couldn't keep it. So I happened to be on a Skype call with a client one time, and he was like three rooms away but he was hungry and he was hungry <laughs> he wanted to be fed like right now and he was still being bottle fed so i mean you could hear this cat for miles and he was <laughs> six inches tall not even that tall you know he was wow. tiny so yeah yeah the voice <laughs> of the animal and the size of the animal are not necessarily no, one to say just, yeah, i don't yeah boy howdy yeah That's true. wow well <laughs> I tell you, we spent a lot of time on, on you as an editor, but you've got a couple of series out on your own, and we've got a couple of minutes left here, and I just wanted to touch on the fact that you've got, is it Heart of Gods coming out soon? Is that the three from Fate's Arrow? It is, yeah, the, the third book, and I thought it was going to be um, out in August, but we didn't quite make it, so I have high hopes that it will be out soon in October. I have The galleys are coming, and yes, by the end of October it will be out, which is the third book in my Fate's Arrow series that is kind of science fiction-y, kind of high fantasy set on a colony world um, that's been cut off from Earth for a long time and has artificial gods and you know basically a kind of a retelling of the whole mess in the middle east and it was begun in 89 and nothing's changed it's actually closer now i suppose to the current conditions on the ground than it was even when i started <laughs> yeah, i was about to say if you were talking yeah. about it like a, a so, regression yeah. yeah exactly you yeah. know my my religious fanatics that had originally overthrown the the fanat or the planet look suspiciously like isis so <laughs> so you forecast it. Nice. Yeah, the more things change, the less they change. Boy, yeah. So, yeah. So, or she caused it. Yeah, yeah, Sue. <laughs> I did. Yeah. The power I, of Sue. I, I probably did. Yeah. So, yeah, but and you know, you can still get all of the. So books we may that. not have that many listeners, but yeah. but now the Central Intelligence Agency is one of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Actually, I had suspicions one time that my phone was tapped because every time I picked it up, I heard three clicks. You know, just this click, click, click. Oh, wow. And, for, and, and it was like, for those okay. Of you, for those of you listening uh, who don't know this, I think Sue is former military intelligence, correct? I am. I am. So and I, that, yeah. that's not a paranoia. 
<laughs> like you would know, right? Like, like it's not like you were like a barista gone rogue. <laughs> like it's not like, yeah. It's like I have I have coffee, but you know. It was very odd, and I actually even said something one time to whoever I was talking to. I said, "Is that it? You're in? I keep hearing this clicking noise." And you know, about a week later, it disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, <laughs> well, given your background, I'd like to talk about a, a kind of a random topic. Kanye West is is, is running for president in 2020. Are, are you what? really just about that? Like that? What the hell? You didn't know about that? You didn't hear about that? I didn't care about that. What the hell are we? That's the thing. Well, what? she she well she's so informed that I wanted to get a, a professional opinion. On what? It. Actually, I had heard that announcement. Didn't you announce that at like the? Yeah, the VMAs. Yeah, yeah. Oh God. So no, 2020 is way off my radar. Okay, you're not. You're not a. You're not pro Kanye or anti Kanye yet. Okay. I thought we were anti political on this. Yeah. Yeah. This is look you. That's about as political as we've ever gotten. We just asked about a presidential election. Con really Kanye Kanye West. (laughs) This is a very serious consideration. Are you kidding me? Uh, No. If that becomes an actual serious consideration. I'm sorry, but we'll have to do the podcast in another country, preferably Canada. <laughs> he, 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 that, no, he's, uh, I just love his bravado, Kanye West. <laughs> if you want to call it Is that. Is that what you call it? Yeah. <laughs> or it's, well, he actually. I would have th- picked a different word, actually. But, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be. It starts with B, but it's not bravado. <laughs> <laughs> Very accurate. He's just, oh my God. Yeah, um, no, I just heard that and I was like, oh my God. Knowing you, I would have wanted to hear your opinion on that. So that was. <laughs> <laughs> I probably funny. share it. So, yeah. yeah, this is very possible. Sue, uh, it's been an absolute blast having you on for this interview today. Thank you for uh, for putting up with our, our, well, us, I guess is the best yeah. way I can put that. Thank you for inviting me. This was a lot of fun. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. Thank you, Sue. Uh, and, and give more more heavy edits, too. <laughs> yes. I was like, going to say, I think he's actually working through a like a seven ten load at the moment. So. I am, I am. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're getting that out. Um, that's s a bullich books dot com. So s a b o l i c h books dot com is the website, and uh, she's got a couple of series and a bunch of anthologies up there. So go check them out. Awesome. Thanks much, Sue. Thank you. On the next episode of Three Unwise Men. Yeah. I would like to draw attention to hand meat at this moment. <laughs>